Welcome to Emily Rose Meditations. I'm your host, Emily, and today we'll be sitting with Chapter 9 of Book 1 of The Dark Night of the Soul by St. John of the Cross. So find a comfortable seat, take a deep breath, and make your heart ready to receive these words. But since these aridities might frequently proceed, not from the night and purgation of the sensual desires aforementioned, but from sins and imperfections, or from weakness and lukewarmness, or from some bad humor or disposition of the body, I shall here set down certain signs by which it may be known if such aridity proceeds from the aforementioned purgation, or if it arises from any of the aforementioned sins. For the making of this distinction, I find that there are three principal signs. The first is whether, when a soul finds no pleasure or consolation in the things of God, it also fails to find it in anything created. For, as God sets the soul of this dark night to the end that he may quench and purge its sensual desire, he allows it not to find attraction or sweetness in anything whatsoever. In such a case, it may be considered very probable that this aridity and insipidity proceed not from recently committed sins or imperfections. For if this were so, the soul would feel in its nature some inclination or desire to taste other things than those of God, since whenever the desire is allowed to indulgence in any imperfection, it immediately feels inclined thereto, whether little or much, in proportion to the desire and the love that it has put into it. Since, however, this lack of enjoyment in things above or below might proceed from some indisposition or melancholy humor, which oftentimes makes it impossible for the soul to take pleasure in anything, it becomes necessary to apply the second sign and condition. The second sign, whereby a man may believe himself to be experiencing the said purgation, is that the memory is ordinarily centered upon God with painful care and solicitude, thinking that it is not serving God, but is backsliding because it finds itself without sweetness in the things of God. And in such a case, it is evident that this lack of sweetness and this aridity come not from weakness and lukewarmness, For it is the nature of lukewarmness not to care greatly or to have any inward solicitude for the things of God. There is thus a great difference between aridity and lukewarmness. For lukewarmness consists in great weakness and remissness in the will and in the spirit without solicitude as to serving God. Whereas purgative aridity is ordinarily accompanied by solicitude, with care and grief, as I say, because the soul is not serving God. 
And although this may sometimes be increased by melancholy or some other humor, as it frequently is, it fails not for that reason to produce a purgative effect upon the desire. Since the desire is deprived of all pleasure and has its care centered upon God alone. For when mere humor is the cause, it spends itself in displeasure and ruin of the physical nature. And there are none of those desires to serve God, which belong to the purgative aridity. When the cause is aridity, it is true that the sensual part of the soul has fallen low and is weak and feeble in its actions by reason of the little pleasure which it finds in them. But the spirit, on the other hand, is ready and strong. For the cause of this aridity is that God transfers to the spirit the good things and the strength of the senses, which, since the soul's natural strength and senses are incapable of using them, remain barren, dry, and empty. For the sensual part of a man has no capacity for that which is pure spirit, and thus, when it is the spirit that receives the pleasure, the flesh is left without savor and is too weak to perform any action. But the spirit, which all the time is being fed, goes forward in strength and with more alertness and solicitude than before in its anxiety not to fail God. And if it is not immediately conscious of spiritual sweetness and delight, but only of aridity and lack of sweetness, the reason for this is the strangeness of the exchange, for its palate has been accustomed to those other sensual pleasures upon which its eyes are still fixed. And since the spiritual palate is not made ready or purged for such subtle pleasure until it finds itself becoming prepared for it by means of this arid and dark night, it cannot experience spiritual pleasure and good, but only aridity and lack of sweetness, since it misses the pleasure which aforetime it enjoyed so readily. These souls whom God is beginning to lead through these solitary places of the wilderness are like to the children of Israel, to whom in the wilderness God began to give food from heaven, containing within itself all sweetness, and, as is there said, it turned to the savor which each one of them desired. But with all the children of Israel felt the lack of the pleasures and delights of the flesh and the onions which they had eaten aforetime in Egypt, the more so because their palate was accustomed to these and took delight in them rather than the delicate sweetness of the angelic manna. And they wept and sighed for the flesh pots, even in the midst of the food of heaven. 
To such depths does the vileness of our desires descend, that it makes us to long for our own wretched food, and to be nauseated by the indescribable blessings of heaven. But, as I say, when these aridities proceed from the way of the purgation of sensual desire, although at first the spirit feels no sweetness, for the reasons we have just given, it feels that it is deriving strength and energy to act from the substance which this inward food gives it. The which food is the beginning of a contemplation that is dark and arid to the senses, which contemplation is secret and hidden from the very person that experiences it. And ordinarily, together with the aridity and emptiness which it causes in the senses, it gives the soul an inclination and desire to be alone and in quietness, without being able to think of any particular thing or having the desire to do so. If those souls to whom this comes to pass knew how to be quiet at this time and troubled not about performing any kind of action, whether inward or outward, neither had any anxiety about doing anything, then they would delicately experience this inward refreshment in that ease and freedom from care. So delicate is this refreshment that ordinarily, if a man have desire or care to experience it, he experiences it not. For, as I say, it does its work when the soul is most at ease and freest from care. It is like the air, which if one would close its hand upon it, escapes. In this sense, we may understand that which the spouse said to the bride in the songs, namely, withdraw thine eyes from me, for they make me to soar aloft. For in such a way does God bring the soul into this state, and by so different a path does he lead it, that if it desires to work with its faculties, it hinders the work which God is doing in it, rather than aids it, whereas aforetime it was quite the contrary. The reason is that in this state of contemplation, which the soul enters when it forsakes meditation for the state of the proficient, it is God who is now working in the soul. He binds its inferior faculties and allows it not to cling to the understanding, nor to have delight in the will, nor to reason with the memory. For anything that the soul can do of its own accord at this time serves only, as we have said, to hinder inward peace and the work which God is accomplishing in the spirit by means of the aridity of sense. And this peace, being spiritual and delicate, performs a work which is quiet and delicate, solitary, productive of peace and satisfaction, and far removed from all those earlier pleasures, which were very palpable and sensual. 
This is the peace which David says, God speaks in the soul to the end that he may make it spiritual. And this leads us to the third point. The third sign whereby this purgation of sense may be recognized is that the soul can no longer meditate or reflect in the imaginative sphere of sense as it was wont, however much it may of itself endeavor to do so. For God now begins to communicate himself to it, no longer through sense as he did aforetime, but by means of reflections which joined and sundered its knowledge, but by pure spirit, into which consecutive reflections enter not. But he communicates himself to it by an act of simple contemplation, to which neither the exterior nor the interior senses of the lower part of the soul can attain. From this time forward, therefore, imagination and fancy can find no support in any meditation and can gain no foothold by means thereof. With regard to this third sign, it is to be understood that this embarrassment and dissatisfaction of the faculties proceed not from indisposition. For when this is the case, and the indisposition, which never lasts for long, comes to an end, the soul is able once again, by taking some trouble about the matter, to do what it did before, and the faculties find their wanted support. But in the purgation of the desire, this is not so. When, once the soul begins to enter therein, its inability to reflect with the faculties grows ever greater. For, although it is true that at first, and with some persons, the process is not as continuous as this, so that occasionally they fail to abandon their pleasures and reflections of sense. For perchance by reason of their weakness, it was not fitting to wean them from these immediately. Yet, this inability grows within them more and more and brings the workings of sense to an end, if indeed they are able to make progress. For those who walk not in the way of contemplation act very differently. For this night of aridities is not usually continuous in their senses. At times they have these aridities, at others they have them not. At times, they cannot meditate. At others, they can. For God sets them in this night only to prove them and to humble them and to reform their desires so that they go not nurturing in themselves a sinful gluttony in spiritual things. He sets them not there in order to lead them in the way of the spirit, which is this contemplation, For not all those who walk of set purpose in the way of the Spirit are brought by God to contemplation, nor even half of them. Why? He knows best. 
And this is why he never completely weans the senses of such persons from the breasts of meditations and reflections, but only for short periods and at certain seasons, as we have said. Thank you for joining me today. The peace of Christ be with you.